I realized as I was getting ready for this sermon that today is the 23rd anniversary of a pretty special day in my life. That 23 years ago tonight, I went to bed going, what did I just do? I just invited a young lady to my house, had a conversation with her, and I basically pledged myself to her that if I could win her heart in a courtship, I would marry her. I hadn't even gone on a date with her yet. I thought, what was I thinking? This risk... And I gave it to God that night, and I have not worried about it one moment since. (laughs) Okay, that wasn't meant for a clap. (laughs) A few hours earlier, I was fearful. I made the first and only batch of cookies I've ever made, and they burnt. As I had Molly come to our house, and I had prepared something in writing, and I was going to ask her to court have a relationship that would, I hope, lead towards marriage. And I think like three weeks later, we got engaged. But I remember the risk that was involved, the fear that I had, the requiring of a type of courage because this could go a really good way and this could go a very discouraging way, a horrible way in my, from my way of thinking. And that's nothing compared to the risk-taking, the scenarios that could have taken place in our story this morning in Ruth chapter 3. So would you turn with me to Ruth chapter 3? We're in the third out of four sermons in this beautiful story in the life of of a woman who lost her husband and lost her two sons and but is really named after her daughter-in-law, a foreign woman from Moab, Ruth. And we're in the third of four chapters. Romans 15, 4 says, whatever was written in former days, the Scriptures was written for our instruction so that through endurance, through patience, and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. As as I go through the sermon, I want to encourage you to take the back sheet of your bulletin, and at the bottom you have a, a new box after that hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Thoughts for further meditation. I'm going to preach a sermon on why would we have a box like that. And I want to challenge you towards this on the, on the 31st of December. But as, as you're going this morning and you hear something, maybe from me or just going in your mind, maybe it's a passage of Scripture, something I state, write something down. You say, I want to put further thought and meditation with God's help later today or this week, and I'm going to write it in that box. God is sovereign over all things. We see that in 
all of the Bible. And yet, God works through human decision-making, and those decisions really matter. It's a mystery. God works and over all things. He ultimately ordained all the things, including what you chose to wear this morning, and yet He used your decision-making, and you're not a robot. Many are the plans in the mind of man, the proverb says, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. For kings, Solomon writes, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, whether that be a good king or a bad king, whether that be Nebuchadnezzar or a good king David. And God turns it wherever he will, Proverbs 21 one. Thankfully, there's a category of people that are graciously lumped into this, called according to his purpose, loved by, love God and loved by him. It's called Christians. We don't deserve it, but we get this category. We get this status. We come into the covenant of his grace and he loves us forever. And he says this from Paul, and we know that he works all things together for good for those who are in that category. Romans 8, 28. So as we come into chapter 3 of Ruth 3, it's as though the divine author is telling us, do not judge the Lord by your feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. Because hear hear this, blind unbelief, that's what we're all prone towards, we don't believe like we should, is sure to err. And when we see the things around our lives, we scan his work in vain. But God is his own interpreter, and God will make it plain in due time. So hope in him. And be like Ruth in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, who finds that there's the God of Israel and she flees under his wings for refuge. Morgan says, mature Christians pay special attention to the accidents, the misfortunes, think Ruth, Naomi, their loss of family, and the coincidences that befall them. For in reality, there are no accidents, there are no coincidences, only the providential ordering of a God who watches over his saints, his people. In this chapter, we're going to see what John Piper labels strategic righteousness, right acting based on strategy, thinking through a plan and going, I'm not sure if this is the best plan, but this is the best strategy that I can think of and I'm motivated by the glory of God or something that God wants me to be motivated by. It's faith in action. It's a belief in God, but it is active and it's risky here and courageous. So where were we? Roman... We're at Ruth chapter 3. What happened in chapter 1 and 2? Let me just remind you. Or if you're kind of coming to this, this is just a, a, a great story. 
chapters 1 and 2, Naomi, a woman from Bethlehem, married to Elimelech, leaves with her family, her husband and two sons, and they go to a land name of Moab outside the promised land because there was a famine in Bethlehem. There her husband dies. Not sure exactly how the order is, but the way the order states in Ruth 1, her sons marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, and then her sons die. They, they're in Moab for 10 years, and now that she has no men in her family to keep the, the, the line going, she goes back because she hears that the Lord had visited the land of Bethlehem and brought food. As she's going back, Ruth, both daughter-in-laws insist on going with her, but only Ruth prevails. And Ruth says, Mom, I'm coming. And where you die, I'm going to die Your God is my God. And we find that she says, your God is the God I am going to cling to and, and run under his wings for protective care because I have come to know him as the true God. In chapter two, Boaz, this man is introduced to the story. Ruth gleans in the fields in accordance to Old Testament law of gleaning. And this man, Boaz, who's probably a wealthy landowner, shows great kindness and allows her to glean, and he protects her and gives her more than he even needs to give out of God's generosity laws of the Old Testament. And Boaz observes and praises Naomi and says, you are showing kindness to your mother-in-law. Boaz tells Ruth that God is faithful and will reward her for seeking refuge under God. And we're introduced to a term called redeemer. She comes back and says to Naomi, this has happened. And Naomi goes, oh, Boaz, he's a kinsman, he's close. And he is one of our redeemers. This is what a redeemer was a nearest adult male blood relative who served as a type of advocate, a helper, somebody who would come to the rescue, a redeem, to redeem for any vulnerable or unfortunate person in their clan in order to correct correct any disruption to that clan's wholeness, that clan's well-being, shalom. Things, so if someone dies or if there's a debt and they have to sell the property or someone gets, goes into slavery because, because of the debt or if there was a violation in a murder and they needed to avenge, that redeemer would seek to come to their defense. Even to the point where a relative A brother would marry the widow of his oldest brother to carry on the clan's line to continue the land in the family because God wanted wanted them to be protected in such a way. The land belonged to the Lord. And he gave the inheritance to the tribes and wanted the tribes to keep that land within the tribes. 
we come to a story now. Chapter 3 is a strange chapter. It's an odd addition to the Holy Scriptures, but there are a lot of odd ones. And yet it is holy and good. This chapter is is a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation, not so much narrative, there's, and there's not a lot of spiritual interpretation that's going on in this passage. There's just a lot of action or words. As we go from verses 1 through 5, Naomi gives her scheme, and then verses 6 through 9, Ruth carries out this scheme, and then Boaz responds to that, And then she goes back, Ruth goes back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, at the end of this chapter. This is the shortest chapter of these four. And I want to just bring to you it this way. I want you to see Naomi's concern. Naomi's concern. I want you to see Ruth's courage and Boaz's character and God's care. Naomi's concern... Ruth's courage, Boaz's character, and God's care. And there's a lot of risk-taking going on. Not by God. God never takes a risk. But, but humans do as they're forced to trust God in the midst of circumstances that they are uncertain of, but not God. Risk-taking is not out of step with godliness. God will put us in the place where we need to make godly biblical risk. Let's start with number one, Naomi's concern, and I'm going to say, and risky scheme, verses one through five. When I say scheme, I'm not saying that sarcastically, like she's, we use scheme in a negative light, but she is scheming, she is thinking, she's strategizing. Okay, so let me read verses one through five. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whom young women, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, I'll start by saying, I don't think I ever have and I never will give this kind of advice to my daughters and how they should try to enter into a relationship, and neither should you. But I want you to see some things about Naomi's concern and risky scheme. First of all, do you notice how Naomi moves from chapter one? She is, don't even even call me by my name. I'm not Naomi, which means pleasant. I'm bitter. Mara, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She just has no capacity. She's discouraged. She's depressed. She's overwhelmed by the loss. And then in chapter two, she moves towards the end of chapter two. She didn't initiate the going into the fields. It was Ruth that did. 
She's not doing any initiating, but at the end she sees, oh, see God's kindness. May God bless the kindness is upon us. And now we find where she can breathe a little bit. The clouds are lifting. She's seeing God at work. And she's no longer focused on herself. God had lifted her out of the mire of her discouragement. She's concerned about Ruth's future. This is a good concern. This is an admirable concern. Why the scheme? She seeks not her own welfare, but the welfare of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. There's, and there is a riskiness to this, theme, this scheme, and I'm going to bring that up as we move to Ruth. What's the scheme? Well, the reason, she says, to quote the New Living Translation, she says, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided. I might die soon. I don't know when I'm going to die. And if I do, you could be left completely destitute with, as a foreigner in a land. At least I have, I'm part of a clan. So what's the scheme? She tells her to bathe, to put on perfume, dress up, and then go to the threshing floor. Boaz seems concerned that's not a place for a woman late at night. But she says, go there and wait and lurk incognito. Be quiet, be secretive about it, and watch and wait till Boaz is done eating and drinking and goes to bed, and when he's already gone to bed, go and uncover his feet and lay down by him. Not sure why this scheme, why this plan, and why all of this. Some have believed that at this point, Ruth, Naomi is saying, Ruth, your time period of grieving and mourning is over. It's now for able, time for you able to go and enter into society and so you can wash clean. And by your putting on your cloak and perfume and all of that, it is a symbolic way of saying you are now able to get remarried. Your time of mourning, like it would be in ancient culture, is complete. And Boaz is a relative. He is a redeemer. He is eligible to be one that if he so cho chose to marry you, he could carry on properly the line of Elimelech and Malon, which is the line of Judah and carry on that property in the land, in the clan. So far, Boaz hadn't taken action so far. Now, this could have been really misunderstood. What, what does one think if you're reading this story? In fact, you read the Bible, and you find in the book of Genesis a lot of stuff going on. And... A woman dresses up, puts on perfume, waits till somebody has eaten and probably drunk, and is, it's, it's going to say later, he's merry of heart, and she goes, and she, she uncovers him somewhat and lays by him, at least by his feet. This could be misunderstood as an action of a prostitute or of someone that is trying to sleep with him. It's a risky plan with a potential for great disaster. Let's keep reading. So we find the, the concern that Naomi has, and she has a quite risky plan. Let's look at the courage, Ruth's courage, Ruth's courage and risky love, verses six through nine. So 
she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, more in a solitary, private area. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and he turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, now this is not part of Naomi's plan because Naomi didn't tell her what to say. This is now Ruth. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings, or some translations say the corner of your garment. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What's going on here? Ruth trusts her mother-in-law and obeys her mother-in-law, okay? All that you do, you say, I'll do. And, and we find here that Ruth is motivated by a loving kindness, and we're going to see that because of the way Boaz responds to her in just a minute, that she was not about something that was sexually provocative or immoral, but, but was seeking an honorable pursuit of marriage in this and seeking to carry, she was showing family loyalty in her actions. She fears God and she takes risks. She's not focused on the external. She this is a risky plan. Ruth does what she's told. She basically proposes, and Boaz is going to see that clearly. She's bold. She's gutsy. She answers, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me and marry me. I think that's what she's saying in so many words. And there are, but there are three ways, because of the way she says it and the actions in which she does, and the reader is meant to go, What's going on here? This seems kind of strange. This seems suspicious. Is, is something bad? No. Something bad isn't happening, but our minds go there initially. There's three ways that Boaz could have interpreted this. One, think that she's a prostitute or seeking to just be immoral and, and to accept it and, and to sleep with her. Or... He could have said, in his mind, she's trying to be immoral, a prostitute, or prostitute herself to me, and he gets up and says, what are you doing here? Get out of here. This is not how a godly woman should, I, I misunderstood who you were, now leave, I don't want to ever see you in my fields again. It's a possibility. Or he could interpret her intentions, her actions correctly. She says, spread your wings over me. A lot of the other translations say, 
the corner of your garments because that phrase can be used in both ways, but it is the same words that we find in chapter 2, verse 12, about wings, but I'll get there in a minute. There's only one other time in which the spreading of your wings or garment is used in the Bible with this kind of context, Ezekiel 16, 8, which describes God's care for his people Israel who had been so sinful and so wicked and so immoral, and yet God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover you with with my garment, but really with my wings, and I'm going to marry you and make you my own, Israel. This is what it says, when I passed by you again and I saw you, this is God speaking, behold, you are at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you, my wings, same word as in Ruth 3, and I covered your nakedness, your vulnerability, and I made my vow to you, and I entered into covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. And I think that what, I think what Ruth is doing here is Ruth, in using these words, he wakes up, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me, for you are, one of my, you are my, a redeemer. I think she's saying, you said, and we'll say verse chap, first in chapter, in two, chapter 2, verse 12, you said that I came to God and I went under his wings for refuge. I'm asking you to be the answer to your prayer for me, and you would cover me with your wings, you would protect me, and you would carry on the line of Naomi's family, Elimelech, and sons. I say, where does she get that kind of risky love? She could could have just blown everything. I mean, things were working great. She had a place where she could glean all of the time, get generous protection and provision. Why spoil and shake things up? And And yet, she knew, God put me here. I have come under his wings for refuge. This is a God who doesn't forsake his own. This is the God that led his people out of Egypt. This is a God who works and cares for and makes promises to provide for his people. Think that the courage that that she has and the courage that any of us would have in order to do right things that are risky is to know that just like Ruth, we have a God who says, I spread my wings out over you, and I care for you, I protect you, and provide for you. Now seek to do what is right. You see, she's flying under the wings of the Lord. The psalmist uses this regularly as he connects those who run under him for refuge He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield You will not fear the terror of the night. Ruth, by God's grace, has come to know this God 
enough to say, I trust him and I'm going to take this act of obedience because this matters to God to carry on the line of these families and, and to pr- provide for me and Naomi for the future. Truly, Ruth is meant for us to be seen as a virtuous woman. We, we don't have... Our Bibles are ordered in a different way. You find judge, you you find, you have the judges in your Bible in our our version of the Bible, and then it goes right into Ruth, and then it goes to First Samuel. But in the Hebrew Bible, you had the Book of Proverbs, and then you had Ruth, which means if you're reading as a he Old Testament Hebrew, you're reading through Proverbs 31, and what do you find in Proverbs 31? you find this virtuous woman described, a virtuous woman who cares and provides and says these words, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. Maybe a better way or a more modern way to say it, she laughs without fear of the future. A godly woman trusts and fears the Lord that the future, while it may be risky and fearful to others, her trust in the Lord allows her to laugh at the days to come. And so does Ruth. She is like Sarah who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and not fear anything that is frightening, 1 Peter 3. She has a godly courage because of her faith in the Lord in a risky situation. Now let's move to the third section here. We find Boaz and Boaz's character. Boaz surely will show some courage, but I want you to see his character especially shining through in the midst of a type of risky generosity, beginning in verse 10. And Boaz said, so here we go. We find Ruth saying, you're one of my redeemers. You are a redeemer. I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread your wings over your servant. And here's his response. May you be blessed by Yahweh, the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Notice how he does this and he continues to do this. And he does this in chapter 2, 3, and 4. Boaz is a devout man. He is God-centered. He is always thinking, blessed be the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, chapter 2. Here, he's thinking right away. His first response is not, is this woman trying to seduce me? Is this woman here for a wrong reason? Immediately, he interprets it in the right way, and he sees that God should bless this woman And he says, may you be blessed by God. He recognizes what you're doing is a kindness. And I don't think he means right now a kindness to me because I was lonely and I needed somebody and no one would accept my proposal to marriage. I don't think that's at all what Boaz is doing. 
We don't know anything about Boaz's past marital status. It's just silent on that. Maybe he never had gotten married. We don't know that. Maybe he was a widower. We know he's probably older. He refers to her as daughter, and we find here in which he says, your kindness is greater than the first. The first being, I first recognized your kindness as you were out in the fields taking care, and I had heard the story about how you left your mother and your father, and you stayed with your mother-in-law, Naomi, and you cared for her and sought to do everything you could to provide for her, and I know it's because you came to believe in the God of Israel, and you came under his wings for refuge. And now he's saying, your kindness is even greater. You're risking this. You, in Boaz's mind, I think he's thinking, Naomi, you have a better reputation than you think in this, in this city. And there are guys that probably would marry you. And yet, you're not looking for the most handsome guy that seems to fit with your dream. You have come, and your kindness is you're saying, I fit a category that can honor the Lord's plan of keeping the line of Elimelech and Malon continuing in this trajectory as God had planned it, and you're choosing a relative even though I'm old. I'm older in comparison and not probably as attractive to a natural person's thinking in regards to courtship and marriage and caring, having a family. You're, he recognizes that. He responds here with absolute devotion. It, really, the, these chapters, while this is not a book primarily about biblical manhood and womanhood, we see the redemptive line of God being carried through Jesus, of Jesus Christ, but we do see admirable traits of biblical manhood and womanhood. Ruth submitting to God and his plan and courageous and faithful and kind and we find this Boaz, he responds with character and devotion. He is not going to be sex sexually tempted. He does not view this as a woman trying to go after him and take advantage of this situation. They have to get married. He cares about integrity. He carries, cares right away about this line. Now, let me continue on. Verse 12, and now it is true, I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. He, it matters to him. It wouldn't be right. I would usurp things if, if I just went and it accepted this proposal. Remain tonight, he says to Ruth, verse 13. And in the morning, if he will not, re, if, if he, this other closer relative, if he redeems you, good. Let him do it. And all of us, as we read this, we go, he's probably going, oh, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't redeem. But if he is not willing to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, now, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor He's like worried about appearances. He doesn't want people to misunderstand what's going on. He said, now bring the garment you are wearing. And he holds it, she holds it out and he measured six measures of barley and put it on her. 
Then she went into the city. We find her doing a symbolic action of proposal, taking, pulling off his, co- his cloak, and we find him doing a symbolic of acceptance and saying, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to care for you. Here's the barley to prove it. I am for you. I'm going to take care of you. He takes responsibility, and he even takes responsibility. He doesn't look at her and go, okay, there's a closer one, so tomorrow night you should go and uncover his feet, and you're going to have to go through this whole thing again. He doesn't do that. He says, I'll go approach him. And I'll take care of it. And no matter what, she goes home that night going, one way or another, I have a redeemer. One way or another, either this other person that's an unknown to me right now, or Boaz, they will redeem me. We could focus in and think about how he blesses and praises Ruth He makes a promise to redeem Ruth. In presenting the complication of the near kinsman, he cares about doing the right thing because his motive is driven by the things of God and he reassures her. He's acting with honor and duty and righteousness and integrity and in purity. I I think all of the... I think God gives us a glimpse of three characters here, human characters, with pretty good motives. I, don't think, I think Naomi is not just thinking, I want to get into this line again and have this taken care of. I think she's, the way it's written is, I care about my daughter-in-law. She needs to have wholeness. And Ruth is going... I need to care what my mother-in-law says, and I need to care about this. This is what God values. And Boaz is thinking in regards to this is what God matters to God. And I, I think we, can, we have to be careful here in not reading too much into this text because we would love to read into this text with, with 21st century romanticism and go, oh man, he really wants to marry her. I think he does though. Just the way we have this going on, there is this this desire to carry about this duty and to care for Ruth. So what happens here? It ends this way, verses 16 to the end of the chapter. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how does it fare, my daughter? And she told her what the man had done, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And we see in this chapter, I think, active strategic faith. Faith of Naomi, of Ruth, and even Boaz. And we find them not knowing all that's to take place, but they see I like this. I mentioned this book last time, Red Sea Rules. One of the rules, one of the advices to a man or woman of faith in the midst of difficult or confusing or trying times is you'll find yourself, you don't know what to do. It just doesn't look clear in front of you. Do I take this step or this step? But he's not responding or she's not responding. When uncertain or unsure, take the next logical step by faith, and they seek to do that. But what we see in all of this, both this chapter and all these chapters, 
is God's care and redeeming love. He is at work in all of this. He's working through people. He's working through decisions that are made. And these are people, thank God, who are trusting in the Lord. By the way, sometimes he, many times he works through people that are not trusting in the Lord. But we here we see they are. And he works through strange and puzzling circumstances. I think we, as we read through the Ruth, the book of Ruth, and we move into the last chapter, and we're going to see this as we go next week on Christmas Eve. Boaz is from the line of Judah. The line of Judah has quite an ugly and gracious history. The, the events that take place in which we find her going up and waiting until it's really late at night and pulling back the covers and laying down by Boaz's sleeping place, you go, is this another story in the line in which there is sexual activity that's just inappropriate and not honoring to God? And, and we would say, no, that's not what takes place in this chapter. But we could wonder because Judah's line which is the line that goes to Jesus, is full of sketchy situations. It is full of risque experiences. Risque meaning slightly shocking or greatly shocking, usually because it's connected with sex. If you were to go to a chapter we often pass over is in Matthew chapter 1 because it gets, starts with genealogies, and you know the genealogies, and Judah was the father of Perez, and Zerah, by t- and then it goes through and names name after father and after son. But as we come to this, we should stop and wonder, God is at work here in the risque history of the patriarch Judah. We could go back to Judah, we could go back to Genesis 38, and if you went to Genesis 38, you find how Judah continues his line, and it's quite astounding and and somewhat sad, but redemptive as God is working through his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who's mentioned in Matthew 1 as one of the lineage, the genealogies of Jesus. And then we find here, do, do you know who, we don't find this in this, but if we look elsewhere in scriptures, do you know who Boaz's mother was? Boaz's mother is Rahab the prostitute, who in Joshua chapter 2, she's, not a, she's from Jericho, she finds out that God is coming into the land, and he's the true God, and somehow she had heard all these stories, and the fear of all the city Jericho were truly against this God, and they were fearful, and she believed in this God, and she hid the spies as they were coming in, and she said, would you... Would you shield me? Would, you, would God cover me with his wings as you come in to destroy the land of Jericho? Because I know that God is giving you this land as an inheritance and not us. But would you, would you cover me with a protection and shield? And God, through the people of Israel, protect him. And, and, Boaz's, and Boaz becomes the son, either directly or they skip generations. That's why I think Ruth is probably in the early stages of the judges, and maybe Boaz is pretty old. But Boaz's mother had an immoral past, was a Gentile, non-Jew, came to the Lord, 
What a history. This is the history God chose to be the line of David, to be the line of Jesus. Ruth makes us stop and stare and think about that if we're going to really ponder these things. But of course, New Testament Christians can't finish this chapter and definitely into this book without going, Redeemer, that sounds familiar. Kinsman, Redeemer, doesn't that sound like something that would ring far more than just in these chapters? And it does. Because we find that Redeemer is a term in which we accredit to the one we celebrate at Christmas who has come at Bethlehem. See, Jesus came and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. He is a Redeemer. The Redeemer was necessary when in need of justice or calamity or debt or rescue or the death of a kinsman. A Redeemer must be near in kin, and so is Jesus. He is called our brother. He must be near in kin. He must be able he must be willing, and it must completely be paid for redemption to take place. And as we come to the end of this chapter, and as we ponder these things of, of concern and care and courage and character, we think of God, and we think, God, it's just like you. you. Even though we don't see sinful immorality with these two couples, it just reminds us, you're a God that, that works with sin sinlessly. You draw straight with crooked lines. You use a broken Naomi to carry on this family line through this Moabite woman and this Boaz, the son of a, of a harlot, of a prostitute, who was delivered in Joshua chapter 2, 3, and 4. That's the God that redeems, and so is Jesus. You see, in Romans 8, God did what the law couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he condemned sin in the flesh. He became flesh like us. He became our kinsman. He became a brother in every respect, Hebrews 2.17 says, so that he could become a merciful and faithful priest in service to God so that he could make sacrifice, propitiation for the sins of his people. And so that he could be that priest, Hebrews 4, in order to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's our kinsman, redeemer, redeemer, Jesus. He is close. And oh, he has the power to redeem. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, that though he was rich, Jesus became poor so that in his poverty we might become rich. Jesus is a kinsman redeemer who is wealthy enough and able to take care of all of our sins. You and I have a much greater debt and problem than ever Naomi or Ruth or the line of Elimelech or Malon had. Our rebellion against God meant a verdict of absolute destruction and punishment and separation from God forever a debt that we could never pay, a slavery to sin that we could never get out of. And this kinsman redeemer was sent by God to come and to be our brother 
and to take our place and to rescue us from slavery, to remove our debt and to bring us into the family of God. This is what Jesus has done for us. And oh, if you're here this morning and you do not have the comfort that comes from knowing God has taken away all my sins and I've come under God for refuge and he has rescued me. Oh, I hope that you would this morning, you would sing these Christmas songs and you would celebrate the Christmas season and this coming year with a new life and light that shines from your life knowing that you had a kinsman redeemer come and purchase your debt of sin and take away your sins and remove your guilt and make you part of God's family that you will enjoy forever. We are not, uh, let me say it this way, we are to be like Ruth and Naomi, but not primarily in their faith and courage, but we should but we should be like them who realize they have a need of a kinsman redeemer. And we need to ask him to save us if we haven't. Would you do that if you haven't? That he would save you from your sins or save you from an hour of trial or save you from your sinful ways that right now you are in bondage. You save you by giving you his grace and the wisdom to take the path he calls you to do. He is able, he is willing. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as we, as we think upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who comes from such a, a, a beautiful inheritance from human speaking and also a stained one, one that full of what the, what the world would see as is just improper and undignified and yet full of your wisdom and mercy. Father, thank you that Jesus came not as a beautiful person, as an outward appearance, but came in order to break the bondage of our sin and to rescue us and free us and be our Redeemer. God, I pray that you would help young and old in this church to be like Ruth and Boaz, to have character, courage, concern, because they know that you, the most caring, covenant-keeping God through Jesus, and they cling to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.